You can get early access to the podcast episodes and watch them in full-on video at patreon.com slash Ritchie or watchnebula.com slash Ritchie. Again, I'll tell you right now, I mean, after I departed, a friend told me there was a meeting and in 2018, a specific person who leads certain departments said, we're going to make YouTube a priority in 2018. Yeah. Bro, like that's, you know, that's, this is some of the forces that we had to fight against. And it's like, I'm like, like I said, we're not going back. Brian Tong is a Los Angeles based YouTuber and podcaster who's been writing, producing and editing his own channel and show for over two years now. I first became familiar with Brian's work years ago when he was still at CNET hosting their Apple Focus show. He was so smart and knew all his stuff inside and out, of course, but he also looked like he was having so much fun, just radiating this terrific, geeky energy and bringing his audience right along for the ride. About two years ago, Brian left CNET to go indie. You know, I'm ready to come back with a renewed fire, you know, a renewed spirit and just bring you you know, that smart, quirky, crazy, informative, weird mishmash, but just bottom line, great information and compelling content that you deserve and that I'm committed to. Since then, he's rebuilt himself back up to almost 200,000 subscribers and 20 million views. So a few weeks ago, When I left Future to start my own channel, excited but terrified, Brian was one of the first people I reached out to for advice, wanting to know what that whole experience has been like. Yeah, thanks so much for that. You know, I think that there's, see, while you and I were more in quote-unquote traditional media that was evolving with the times, the YouTube generation was happening, right? We were, there's a difference when, look, part of this is at a certain age when you're getting paid a salary and you're getting benefits, it's hard to say, I'm going to jump over. And also, yeah. there's foresight that needs to happen where you have to save up a bunch in order to make that jump, quite honestly. Right? Yeah. So um, that that in itself was crazy. But, you know, being able to do it and being able to kind of say, hey, like, it's going to be all right. And there's still so much that I need to do to be like, yes, I'm, you know, I'm, I told myself I'm going to give it a three-year run so far. I've been thankfully like good for the first two years where it, things are progressing, things are moving in the right direction, they haven't plateaued. And so when I see your content and your stuff, I feel like we're also on similar trajectories where like in two years, you're going to be like, okay, I'm really glad I did this. I think also you, there's times where when I started my first year, I felt like, holy crap, this is crazy. I'm just going to put my head down. I'm not going to look at the numbers. And quite honestly, part of this, although people talk about numbers and you peek at it, you almost have to ignore the numbers yeah. and just put out good content and have the faith that your opinions, your brain, your creative process will ultimately push forward and content is king. You've got the content, and so that's why I know you're going to be able to do this, and that's why I've got you know nothing but love and support <laughs> for you, man. Oh, thank you, man. Totally likewise. And, and I'm curious uh, because I can name, I think, pretty much the exact moment where I had for years I'd been thinking about you know going indie and whenever I'd see someone like Gruber or Ben Thompson or Jason Snell who'd done it they're all like come on come on over here the water is fine you know there's there's so much weight off your back and I'm just like oh I'm so risk adverse and like you said I have a stable paycheck and I had one of the best jobs in the world because you know I I was always super diligent about what I thought were my responsibilities but I was never micromanaged and 
and I, I eventually came to that realization, but I'm curious, was there like a moment for you where you knew you were going to go indie? Well, I'd always felt it for, quite honestly, maybe three to five years. You know, like I'm, I'm never one to look back, but if I had to make a decision, I probably would have done it more during the time when, but again, it's hard because of yeah. the situation where you, as YouTube was, was kind of getting to that mature point, I was, even my family members and friends are like, just do it, just jump. I'm like, you don't understand. It's not like, that's why I have the utmost respect for all the YouTubers who grew through it. And they were able like, sometimes platforms and explosions in content are about timing, right? Right place, right time and being there. And so for me to jump, it was hard. Like even my brother, he told me, just do it. I'm like, oh, are you going to pay the bills for me? Like, it's always easy to tell someone to do it. But at the end of the day, even if you like you understand this, you are ultimately the one that has to do it. Even if someone is successful and has done it and believes in you, you still have to tell yourself through the hard times, through the weird times where you feel like you're doing this on your own, where you're mentally just like tapped out and you don't have a second person to lean on to really push through. You, it ultimately always comes down to us. Yeah. And so, you know, quite honestly, my time at CNET, I think that it had run its course for both sides. And you talk about micromanaging, you talk yeah. about just the ability to, to feel free. Like I feel more free than ever. I'm working harder than ever. It's also more rewarding than ever. Right. And not, I'm not even saying from a monetary standpoint. It's so there's, there's always two sides of the coin. The grass is always greener in different areas. But I will say, after doing this for almost two years now, I would never go back as long as I can do this. Right. I really, I, to my core, I would never, never. So. Yeah, no, I really get that. When I was doing my original job, I was in product marketing and I was really well paid because those kind of jobs, it was enterprise software. Mm-hmm. Those are really good jobs. And I decided to leave and go into technology media. And it was, and I was super privileged that I could do that because not everyone has a sort of, can take those leaps, has the ability to take those leaps. But, you know, I have no kids. I, I don't drink very much. I have very low bills. So I felt like I could take that risk for the quality of life that it would give me. And again, they, they never micromanaged me. There was, there was not a lot of pressure going on. But as the company grew, we went from like five people to 10 people to 70 people and then getting by, by, bought by Future, which was 1,000, growing to 2,000 people. Mm. Just the sense of responsibility. Like I knew the videos I wanted to make, and, but I realized at a certain point that for Future, if I just did VO telling people why to buy a Nintendo Switch, that would be infinitely more valuable for them than anything else I could do. And I realized it was, if I wasn't doing what was best for them and what they wanted, it wasn't like sort of the creative outlet I wanted. Again, realizing I'm super privileged being able to do this, that to me was a moment where I realized it would be better for both of us if I went indie. You know what? I think that, for, let me ask you a question about this whole process. When, when did it actually start really hitting you? Like when did that itch first come in? Because you asked me and I said, honestly, three yeah. to five years. Like I would never... I don't regret things, but if I probably could have planned differently and said, okay, I'm going to do it three, five years ago, I would have. But what about you? I had a couple of moments. Like, you know, um, two of my friends, Dave Wiskus and Jim Dalrymple, sat me down at different times and said, you're looking like a wreck. Because at one time, I was not only doing like all the iMore stuff, but I was helping manage the entire network. We did a shift where it was a bunch of different, totally separately run sites, and we, we brought them all together. So Android Central, Windows Central, iMore, CrackBerry. Mm-hmm. And I was doing all of that. I was putting together the combined systems, editorial, all of that. And it was around the clock job. And they just said, you don't, like, you don't look normal. You don't sound normal. And no one was asking me to work that much. It's just I have like intense pride of product. Yes. And I wanted everything to be 
working and I never wanted anyone to feel underserved. So I was just burning myself. And then I switched, you know, I spoke to them and we got Al Sacco on board and he took over the management stuff and he's way better manager than I was. And Lori Gill came into iMore, way better manager than I ever was. And I got to go back to being creative. But at the same time, I wanted to do that really good work. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to just do my work. That that felt selfish. If I was doing work for future, I wanted to do work that was in their best interests. And it just seemed like those were at a crossroads. And then everything else came together. And I said, I, I have to do this. It was just like a, a slow build to a rapid uh, change. See, I think that. And, and look, again, we were both fortunate to, like, I never like working in tech for a living, right? Covering tech, like covering the toys that we love. Yes. Okay, that's in itself a, a blessing, a dream that I always had when I was a kid. So being able to do that, it wasn't like I took it for granted, but like anything when you're at a place for a long time, you start seeing some of the inefficiencies or maybe the full, the way of thinking that is completely opposite. I mean, there were times like when I say 3 to 5 years ago I had the itch. I said, "Look, you know, I have I give you the most out of all the people that are there. This was not about me. It's but as YouTube was evolving and rising, I said, the views that you get are mostly from me. What if we did a spin-off channel where people are really connecting to a personality and a voice? Yeah. You guys can take all the views, but then I can be independent and be more creative. And they thought that I wanted to leave. Okay. <laughs> so there you have the butting of heads and other things like, oh, we only want to make two-minute videos so we can yeah. serve more ads. I'm like, no one, like, who cares about two-minute videos? That is not serving a customer. That's serving a business. And yes, I get it. They have bills to pay. But that's frustrating when you want to create, just from its most basic level, great content. Content that yeah. you believe in, content that you could put your name on and put your stamp on. And so, you know, I'd get a lot of pressure pushback. Hey, make the Apple Bite a three-minute show. I'm like, hell no. I'm like, until the numbers show that it's not performing, I'm not going to do it. So fine, call that stubborn, but you've got to you know, put draw the line in the sand and stand your ground in certain instances. So when a lot of things like that across the board keep happening and you butt heads, like I said, there's a time where the road ends and yeah. then it's time to make the jump. Now for you, again, like this is, a, this is unlike anything that's, you know, that you'll ever do. Like you kind of... We're, with Vector, you're able to kind of feel it, and now that yes. you're doing it on your own, I'm sure you're like, oh wow! But you're, I'm, I'm honestly so impressed with what you're doing. You're pumping out oh, basically a video every day. That is a beast. You are a beast. And <laughs> well, if there's any time, <laughs> no, no, no. But you know, anytime that you, to me as a community, what I've found amazing is the YouTube audience or yeah. the community tech community embraces each other. It's unlike a lot of uh, disciplines where there's a lot of competition and backstabbing, maybe people don't like X, Y, and Z. I feel like overall, like 95% of the community wants everyone to yeah. succeed. Again, super blessed to be able to do this and have a community that is is helping out. Like I saw how you're doing a Patreon and for people that are watching and listening, I can't tell you how invaluable Patreon is yeah. and was to get me started and to keep me at least paying my rent so that I can yeah. keep doing this. And then allowing me to grow these other pots of this business while still giving you great content. And people that have stuck on board that are people that enjoy your content, that you bring them value, that still stick with you. I mean, it's invaluable because literally if Patreon wasn't there for me, I don't – maybe I stop after two years. 
Yeah. No, it's, it's, and this came to a head very recently too with all the stuff that's going on because we saw that views are up because people are home and they're watching mm-hmm. more content than ever before, but the advertisers are timid or they're using it as an excuse to dial back. So a lot of people, uh, their AdSense is down 30, 40, 60, 80%. And then yesterday as we record this, it'll probably be a week ago when you see it, but yesterday when we record mm-hmm. this, uh, Amazon dropped the hammer on affiliate revenue, uh, yeah. some detrimentally in some categories like furnishings and stuff, but all on board. And it doesn't affect the big media companies. They have their deals locked in. They're massive partners with Amazon in so many ways. But for indie creators who are used to just like putting up their gear with links, that's another revenue stream cut and sponsors are timid and maybe people can't afford Patreon anymore. So I think to your point, it's worth having, in fact, it's not even worth, you absolutely have to have these different diverse pools of income or or you're not going to make it with anyone. What has been, you know, I think, are you roughly two weeks, technically, technically, right? Two weeks in independent putting out content. You know, for for someone who's done it to someone who is just starting doing it, what has been, and people are very curious about this too, I'm sure they're listening, what have been maybe t- a few, one, two, or three, whatever you want, of the biggest challenges for you right now, personally? So one, some of these are going to be funny, uh, you know, comical. Like I haven't done a lot of the basic things for, for many years. Like for, I used to be a web developer and I had to figure out how to do a web page in, you know, 2020 because I haven't done one in 10 years. Every, we had a team of developers making this massive CMS for an entire <laughs> network. I didn't have, if I wanted to put a video in, I typed video colon and I pasted in the link. That was it. Like I didn't have to do any, re- everything was done. Every affiliate link was done server side. It was not, it was a writer's dream. And now, like, I don't even have AdSense. I never used it because they, they had their own stuff. So, like, I'm, I'm in the long, long line of Google's slowed down support waiting for AdSense. And I, don't, I didn't have my own Amazon affiliate thing because, again, that went through the company. So I've applied, mm-hmm. I've applied for all these things at the worst time. But I had to figure out how to do all of them because I, like, I was like a little – I was like an adult in kindergarten <laughs> almost. Dude. Okay, I'm going to tell you when I first started, right, again – and because there's part of me that doesn't want to, quote unquote, bother other creators. So I chose yeah. to just like figure out on my own. And, you know, like I told you, anything you need. Yeah, you've been super you generous. Up, you know, you've been super, anything, super generous. Right? And um, just even <laughs> building a Patreon page was like, oh, my gosh. It, I felt like, I mean, I know it didn't take this long, but it felt like it took two or three days to think about, to figure yeah. it out, to build this thing out. And you're, you know, when you're independent, again, when no income is coming in and you're just starting, you're, you are kind of crossing your fingers that people are going to find you. And that was one of those things that that freaked me out. And to your point, AdSense, right? Like yeah. you have to ramp up X amount, even though you have enough subscribers, they still have to be like, you need to show that X amount of hours yes. have been watched. So even though you know you're pumping out content that should be monetized because they can't flip the switch right away, it takes time. And even when you hit that metric, if I recall, I feel like it wasn't like they flipped the switch automatically. Yeah. I think you, I had to wait for like an application process. Yeah, there's a review so process. Dur- right, right. So during this time, just again, you sometimes have to try to ignore that and stay diligent. And I remember them being like, oh, they flipped it on. And I, it felt like it was maybe a month and a half after I actually hit the metric goal. And so that can be frustrating when you're really trying to. There's a lot of mental challenges, yeah. you know. Uh, were there any. I know I asked you talked about doing your own CMS. Yeah, my CMS is my own hard drive. Right? Yes, folders. <laughs> but but are what are are there any other challenges even just personally and stuff for you? No, it, most of it is just trying to figure out how to keep all the balls in the air because yeah. like I, I I went from a channel with you know 
100,000 subscribers and mm -hmm. 400 videos to zero subscribers and zero videos. And the subscribers are coming back, but there's very little content on there now. So I feel like this huge pressure to just generate content so it doesn't look like this empty, desolate page. And people mm -hmm. land there and they go, what, what is this? Like, When I went independent, it took me six months before I hit 100K subs, which A, was like, oh, wow, people found me. I think you're, you're around, right as of this moment, I think around, at least last time I checked, I didn't check this morning, but around close to 40-ish or so, yeah. and you're two weeks in. So all I'm saying is, all signs point to yes, baby. <laughs> so even though there's going to be this transitional time of getting AdSense up and your brain yeah. is, this has been the most challenging job I've ever had. I always respected YouTuber, independent creators before. Now, now as my voice cracks, I respect them 10 times more. And that's why I feel like once I went independent, they showed the, they showed the same respect to me, even though they've been watching me. Right, A lot of these YouTubers grew up and I come across, they're like, I watched you growing up. And I'm yeah. like, dang, that's crazy, right? And, <laughs> and, but now that the, in a way, not in a way, the respect goes right back to them because they've helped create and build this platform that has now allowed me yeah. to leave the traditional platform and do do what I want to kind of control my own fate. So the respect even goes more back to them because without them, this may not be an option. So when something happens, like the iPhone SE gets announced, what is your process? How do you go from like hearing about it to get, because I watched your video uh, last night, I watched it again this morning, just to make sure I could talk about it intelligently. But how do you, <laughs> how do you go from, from like, you, you know something's happening to that video, you, you hitting publish on that video? So for me, I mean, I'm sure everyone's process might be different. Some might be similar. Obviously, I just download as much information as I can. The thing that happened yesterday, though, is, right, we thought that we had heard and pretty much expected that they were going to release the iPhone SE. So I woke up at 5 a.m. because I think <laughs> the last time they dropped the, yeah. uh, the iPad Pro announcement, it was at 5 a.m. West Coast time. Yeah. Nothing. Went back to sleep. Woke up at 6 a.m. Oh, God. Nothing. Went back to sleep. Woke up. So that's also... One of the things in this job, independent, is sometimes you stay up really late. So sleep is not, I've probably got the least sleep that I ever have. So I went to sleep, I think, at 2 a.m. the day before. So, right, you get three hours of sleep, wake up at 5, nothing. Wake up at 6 a.m., nothing. Wake up at 7 a.m., nothing. I'm like, is this thing going to come out? <laughs> so I fell asleep and knocked out. And for whatever reason, the, the wake-up gods were like, wake up at 8.45. So I didn't actually yeah. even see it at 8 a.m., now, I don't overly get crazy now where year one, I burn the candle because what you like, what you said and what you're thinking, yeah. I need to get content out. I need people to see that I'm doing this. I need to get in the algorithm machine. So I'll tell you, I burned hard, hard in year one. Year two, I'm still burning hard, maybe like a little bit lower because my girlfriend's yeah. like, you can't do this. This is yeah. not sustainable. So I had a voice of reason. Now with this today, I say, you know what? I'm going to get out my video, get out my thoughts, get out the proper information and get it out in a timely manner. So timely for me was try to get it out by two o'clock. Not yeah. it came out at three. What's up, Brian Tonk here, and it is finally official. The new iPhone SE, it's all here. So let's just break it all down. But what you end up learning, even though timing matters, there is a window of time you need to get your content out, but your audience is looking for you and also people are looking at four or five different voices in this tech space. That's yeah. why, more than that, that's why this whole idea of competition and top dog doesn't, 
it matters, but it doesn't because everyone brings something different and valuable yeah. and connects in different ways. And so we are all our own people, but people will see your stuff. People will see my stuff. They'll see five other creator stuff and we all win. Yeah. So it's no, just a matter absolutely. of getting it in time. For me, it's just a matter of writing my script, shooting it, putting B-roll. I try to throw in a few jokes and that actually takes longer, but I feel like there's value to making someone smile and escape from Apple, Apple, Apple. Random joke, Apple, Apple. It just breaks yes. up the rhythm of their brain. And even if it, if it's like, oh, that took me an extra 20, 30 minutes in my mind and then edit and add this piece and find that, that's fine because that's yeah. how I present. And so that's in my DNA. And um, so it's like totally you, you know, it. put it out. Now you got your video out. I mean, I was, my head was hunkered in, but your, was your video out when the phone came out because you have the phone? No, it, it was like an hour. I, I forget. Like I, I pre-wrote a lot of it because there were so many rumors. Yeah, yeah. And if, if those had been wrong, I would have had to write a lot more afterwards. So basically once it came out and I could fact check everything, I started filming. And then um, I, I'd gotten every like all the possible B-roll that I would need ready and the project ready, everything else prepared. So I just had to throw in the A-roll, uh, put all the B-roll over it. And I did make some mistakes. Like I ended up saying uh, thank you twice at the end because I didn't I didn't edit it as cleanly. As That's I not a mistake. That's not a mistake. Well, I, I used the the, the YouTube uh, trim feature, which I was like real scared to use because I thought they would trim yes. the wrong part of the video. <laughs> I'm never 100 percent sure about them. Dude, but I, so it's, I, not, I, it's not frame by frame on that thing. It's like drag by drag. Yeah. Oh god. So it took me like uh, an hour and a half, two hours. But that's because oh, like, so you. So hold on. So you got yours out basically roughly what around ten eleven a.m. Uh, West Coast time, yeah. See, that's beautiful, and I much like see, and that's a discipline that people don't know about. Like how you talked about, you kind of pre wrote what you know. Like we, we kind of have like a quote unquote boilerplate of to make it easier the next morning instead yeah. of starting from scratch. That's just a common thing in these days with rumors coming out. Um, it's like that. So, you know, my Well, like obituaries, right? Like really sometimes they make a mistake and they publish an obituary <laughs> for someone who's not dead just because they'd written it and it was in the system and it was never supposed to go live unless the person actually had passed away, but someone presses <laughs> presses. It's like when Michael Jackson passed away, why was there instantly a full hour piece yeah. on CNN? These outlets, it is grim sounding, but they do yeah. prepare for stuff like this just in case. So, you know, I mean, process-wise, again, I used to burn really hard but i found that my audience now as and it's still growing thank goodness yeah. is pretty much almost waiting for me for my take on it and so when and like yours is and so when you have that it does relieve a little bit of the pressure you know fine maybe it doesn't get maybe i could get ten thousand more views well you know at the end of the day it's still going to get a good amount of views in it again it's not about the views it's about the content it'll live on just care about the content it sounds so ideal it's hard when we start, but I just care about the content. We're living in a year now where we just got the new iPhone SE, and it is $399 for, yes, it looks like an iPhone 8, but it's got iPhone 11 processors in it. And coincidentally, a day after OnePlus, which used to be the bargain basement king, came up with their most expensive phones ever. Yet at the same time, we're expecting the iPhone 12 uh, towards the end of the year, maybe September, maybe October. And it might be the most expensive iPhone ever because you, Apple's already at the top of that like that $1,000 mm-hmm. price point. And now they're adding uh, you know, a, a LiDAR camera to it, probably 5G to it, probably. So what do you think of Apple's lineup now? And how do, should customers think about it when the range is so vast? 
So, you know, I obviously the pieces have been kind of put in place by Tim Cook from years ago when we started seeing literally five iPhones available yeah. um, from a high-end model to a model from, say, two years ago, three years ago. So for me, at least, and you and I, right, when we cover this stuff, we are kind of in a bubble. So we, we're used <laughs> to things sometimes that people may not be used to. So for me, though, seeing how they're doing this whole pricing thing, the number one thing that I asked people in my video was like, let me know, do you care about the SE? Are you going to pass or not? And you, you start seeing, at least with the tech savvy, the, the people that follow this on a day-to-day, there's two camps. There's really the people that are like, I'm only going to get the high-end model, yeah. right? And there's other people like that are still tech fans, but look, we have to consider, that's what sometimes people forget. We got to consider budgets here. Not everyone yes. is going to buy the most expensive phone every year. You have a, I have a huge verbal uh, group that was really verbal about like, I'm getting the 399 iPhone. And then when I think of outside of these lines, not in the tech world, but the general consumer, my mom, my nieces, my nephews, my brother, his kids, that 399 iPhone for a family is ridiculous. They're not going to get the high end. No, you know, yeah. my niece just got an iPhone 11 a year ago. If this had come out, this 399 iPhone had come out a year ago, they would have gotten her the yeah. 399 iPhone. They really would have because this is, yes, an eight body. I know how we always have to disclaimer that and we're used to that because everyone jumps on it. It's like, this is not a great iPhone. We're not saying this is the greatest iPhone. This is the smartest, arguably the smartest iPhone they've put out. And it just so happens to come at a time like no other. Yeah. Not that we want coronavirus, but it is the perfect phone for the perfect time. You know, another comment we get is Android phones. Oh, you can get a better Android phone for $399. Yeah. i am going to argue, feature-wise, you might put that A13 in a $399 phone. Yeah. How many years is that going to last someone? How many years is that going to last a family member? There is part of spreading these costs over time and the value it gives you that that $399 phone is a beast. <laughs> uh, I just, quite honestly... I would have never thought Apple would have done something like that, but they were already planting the seeds. But the fact that they finally did it, I know if you saw my video, I said, this is yeah. not going to be Apple's best-selling phone. This is going to be the best-selling phone of the year. I'm, I'm going to stick to that, although it's a hot take and it's early. So to me, it's really smart. And you know what? They know and they look at the data. The high-end people that want that Supreme phone or the aspirational phone, they're going to get it if they want it. But now yeah. they've got... A phone that is hard for me to not recommend to anyone that asks me uh, what phone should I get because when I ask them what do they do with your phone because that's the number one question I ask back what do you want to do with your phone that 399 phone is going to pretty much do everything they want unless they want the high-end camera features yeah no 100% and I saw some people you know at the beginning going like it's the okay boomer phone or it's the old phone but what also struck me was a bunch of people who said I just I just want touch ID back you know, I, maybe because they're wearing masks now uh, or for, just because they've never had a good experience with Face ID, they want that Touch ID back. That's the familiar form factor. It's what they're used to, and they just want that, but better. And at $399, and to your point, it's like the processor overhead, ridiculous. It's going to last years. The build quality, top-notch it'll last years. And Apple's got a really good reputation for updating their devices for three, four, five years. So all around, like whether they're going to hold onto it themselves or they're going to pass it on to a kid or they're going to sell it to somebody, to me, like you get you get such a good trade-in or return value on it. Mm-hmm. It really helps. I forget it was like Matt Gonzalez, somebody goes, you can buy, like for the price of a normal phone, you can buy an iPhone, uh, an iPhone SE, uh, an Apple Watch 3, and a pair of AirPods and you're set. It was, and it was like $750. Yeah. Right. That's, 
when you talk when you look at it that way about being in the ecosystem that has so much power, that is that is pretty crazy to think about. Now, does everyone have seven hundred fifty dollars right now? No, and no. there's a lot of jokes like, "Hey, you're gonna spend your stimulus check on the iPhone." Look, people are gonna spend their money how they want to spend it. That's not for us. That's why the argument of like, "Oh, is it worth it?" My question, it's always back to me: Is it worth it for you? Because I can't tell some. Like we'll talk about other things. Like I can't tell someone how to spend their money, right? And the thing about it that also sticks out is when you talk about Touch ID, I've always, to me, I still prefer Touch ID, quite honestly, because of its responsiveness for me. I know some people like Face ID all the way. That's fine. We all come in different camps, but I'm a Touch ID guy. Um, do I, because you and I are always like getting, you know, reviewing and playing with the flagship phones, do I personally want to go back to that design? Personally, no, but again, every person that asks me what phone should I get, that is going to always be in the conversation yeah. now, where maybe it wasn't, right? When it was the iPhone 8, I would have said no, but now it's always going to be in the conversation. So, man, they're, they were super smart to this. This is a, I don't know if it was a sleeper idea because we're, we've been around it so long, so we've heard the news for a year, but I think there's a lot of general consumers that might, and also using the iPhone SE name, Yeah, that just take, even though it's not a four inch phone, there's a lot of people that tell me I love the iPhone SE. I'm gonna get the new iPhone SE, even though it's a totally different phone. Yeah, yeah no, so I think some... it just means classic. Like I think to Apple, SE yeah. just means classic at this point. It's whatever it's whatever those nostalgic previous version of the iPhone was, but with the latest specs. That just gets the SE branding. Yeah, I mean, what what you know, you asked me about my thoughts. I mean, I have so many thoughts that they were kind of jumbled at times. Genius move or right place, right time, unexpected genius? What do you think? I think, you know, we've only seen it twice, so it's too hard to establish a pattern. But I think it, it makes a lot of sense for Apple because they've paid down this entire design the same way they paid down the 5S design before. It doesn't cost them very much to make. Uh, and they're, they're ramping up the silicon on the iPhone 11 anyway. So putting that chip in, you know, it's, it's, it's an expensive chip, but it's not expensive when you put it in the entire package. And it lets Apple make... Uh, they have this thing where they've said it several times, like the original SE, the iPod Touch. It's like it's the it's the device you love just better, you know. And I think that they like that idea. They like the idea that you're set in your ways. You have this form factor you like, and they can just give you a better version of it that will last you for so many more years. And if they don't want to. Move, some people want the latest phone immediately, and other people are like, ah, I'm not ready yet. And they don't want you to have to go buy something else. They'd much rather you buy an iPhone. So if they can yep. give you this, it satisfies both people who like the traditional form factor, it satisfies people who want the latest specs, and it satisfies people who just don't want to pay you know, normal prices for an iPhone flagship. It's 400 bucks out the door. And I was actually impressed because sometimes I feel like Apple and mainstream media are on very different pages. But this time, you know, like Dieter Bone's newsletter was, this is like the best value right now. Um, Jonathan Morrison too, he goes like, this just crushes everything else at that price point. And I think that's that's very true. The package they put together with that price tag on it just makes it super compelling where any of the parts by themselves might not be. People are going to buy this phone and maybe Android fans will be so like, there's always this like beef between the groups like, why are you buying an iPhone 8? Well, it's not an iPhone 8. Yeah. It's, the, it's the freaking guts of a current iPhone yeah. for $399. Who would you recommend get an iPhone SE now? And who would you recommend wait for the iPhone 12, presumably in September, October? Well, that's a lot of people. So let me try and think, break this down. If I had to say right now, if, I, if someone wanted to upgrade their phone, if 
A, like you mentioned, if someone loves Touch ID and they know there's a lot of people that do, let's say you have an iPhone 6, 6S yeah. still, because there's a lot of people, this is the perfect phone for you if you like that form factor um, and you're used to Touch ID. Because let's be honest, there's a generation of people that, like my mom, who is not going to feel comfortable with Face ID. If Face ID doesn't work and she has to put her passcode in, she's going to get more frustrated. The whole touch gesture interface is something she doesn't want to learn. Yeah. So there's more moms like that than there are My people dad's like, like us, that. quite honestly. Right? So she's the perfect person. She's been asking me, what phone should I upgrade? I know a new phone is coming out. Right when the iPhone SE came, I told her, this is your phone, mom. Like, this is the phone that you should get. So A, those type of people are, but also someone who is more than happy with the design, doesn't want to spend $1,000 because not everyone does and owns like a 6 or 6S. This is another perfect phone for them. And you have families who are not going to spend $800 to $1,000 on a phone for every family member. This is another option. So when you look at all those buckets of people this is for, this is going to be the top-selling phone in 2020 yeah. and also the fact it's Apple's ecosystem. Yes, I'm really curious to see, although the economy is going to affect this, I'm going to curious, be curious to see in a year what the distribution of phones sold, yeah. even Android versus Apple phones are, Globally, I know it's going to cost more in other countries, US dollars, $399, a lot more in UK, yeah. Australia. But still, I'm really curious what that distribution is going to look like because it, it has to change. This is you know, not a game-changing phone, but this is a game-changer when we talk about market dynamics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then for like the opposite of all that, the tech person, the person who always wants to have the latest and greatest, the person who really even cares or knows what LiDAR is or what some of the other features that are rumored to be, I think... They're the ones better. Like if you're just, there are some people who are just itching for something new and they'll buy both of them. Mm-hmm. And I know this and that's fine. Uh, I might represent one of those people. But, you know, for the other people, the people. <laughs> I might. I might. <laughs> the people who really want the latest and the greatest and they do, you know, either they're on one of the yearly update programs or they, they've gotten to be an expert at buying a phone, keeping it in mint condition, selling it and using that to greatly defray the cost of a new phone. I just think those people, the ones who are used to like, they want the HDR, the, the you know the the full dark, deep blacks and high brightnesses of OLED. The people who really want, and maybe they get it every year, but maybe they just buy the best phone they can once every three years and then just ride it out. I think they're the ones we're more we're more likely to see wait uh, for the fall release. Beyond Apple and tech, Brian and I share another interest: a deep and abiding love for comic books. The first time it coincidentally, I think I was must have been either that states us seventh or eighth grade but i remember seeing a poster near a shop and it was literally the poster for comic book heads of the infinity gauntlet george perez art has thanos with a glove the crystals are refract the gems are refracting and each of them has these different superheroes at the time as a kid i knew about spider-man yeah probably all and i was like what is that and i walked in the store and then asked about that and so quite honestly the Infinity Gauntlet storyline was what drew me into comic books as a kid. I was actually younger than that. It might have been sixth grade or so. And so I walked in, then I, this whole new world opened up to me. So obviously when you're a kid, you can't really buy that much. So I would just go in the store. I think I maybe my dad would let me get like one comic every time I'd go in. But that drew me in. And then over time, once I started getting a little older and had a little bit of allowance, my brother and I would go to a local comic book store in fact, we'd, we'd want to go to get comics so bad, we got grounded from getting comics because huh. we had bad behavior. We ended up taking our two bicycles to go to the <laughs> comic store when my parents were at work. But here's the catcher. This is dumb Brian that's willing to do anything to get what he wants. 
we didn't know how to get to the comic book store via main roads. So we actually rode our two bikes on the freeway. Oh, God. To ah. get to the comic store. We crossed oh. off ramps, uh, on ramps. And right before we were about to get to the comic book store exit, people must have. We didn't know. We were dumb kids. And we wanted our comics. Cop, yeah. We heard two cop sirens literally maybe 100 yards before we get that exit. And we got pulled over. We didn't get to go to the comic book store. They didn't even know what to cite us, but they gave us a jaywalking ticket in traffic school. But that's how <laughs> bad I love comics and loved comics. Oh and ever God. since then, I've become a big collector. Um, from the, ni- the 90s were really kind of the, my peak time of collecting comics that I can remember where I could start buying them um, during the Image Comics days. Yeah. Spawn, Savage Dragon. The 90s are the X-Men at their peak Jim Lee X-Men and things like that. But now that I've been older, although I'm independent, so I've obviously slowed down that hobby, but still get one here and there. Um, Before that, I became a big collector of graded comics, which is another beast of its own. My big, like I had comics when I was a kid because my parents would get them. Like I remember when I was very young, I had a giant sized action comics, number one that I loved. And that was always such a different Superman. It was like he was in an orphanage, not in a farm, and he would like there like guns involved, and he would jump and not fly. So I was confused as a child, especially when the Richard Donner movie came out. But then I oh, remember yeah. walking into a store, and I'm going to date myself now. There was the Dark Phoenix saga was happening, and Dark oh. Phoenix was holding the X Men logo, and that was the first comic I ever bought on my own. And then I wanted to read the rest of it. And luckily, like, those were not hard to find back then because it was still just happening. So I bought all the issues of the Dark Phoenix saga. And then that, I was hooked Amazing. instantly, that John Byrne artwork. And I know, like, Chris Claremont can be like, you know, no quarter was asked and no quarter was given every three pages. But it was just so good. Like, it was so different and so good. And I was completely hooked from that moment on. Okay, Renee, we've reached a different level of friendship because I don't know many. <laughs> like, honestly, when someone says Chris Claremont, then I know they're a comic books geek. But, so what I did is you know, for my god, I have little god kids, <laughs> and they love reading, and they'll they'll like read That's modern cool. stuff. But I went back and I made sure I got them the Walt Simonson Thor, the John Byrne Fantastic oh. Four, the Frank Miller Daredevils, the yeah. Mark Wolfman and George Perez Teen Titans, like what I could not like the Homer and the Odyssey and Bale, what I consider to be the classic reading material of the time. Are, but those are those are classics. So okay, I know people. I'm not gonna because this is an audio podcast, so we'll have a video element. I did want to show you one of my special comics. Oh, is that nice. okay? Yeah, absolutely. Is, do I have time for this? Okay. So this I probably bought. Again, I'm not buying comics nearly the same way I was or collecting because I'm Indian. Every penny counts. Yes. I think I got this maybe 10 years ago. Oh, God. Gorgeous. So what I'm holding here is the first appearance of Wolverine in Hulk 181. This is an iconic comic. This cover of them battling it out. It has... um. Wolverine when he saw the whiskers. This is Wolverine's debut. Um, so in graded comics, there's a bunch of services. This is a CGC yeah. 9.4. 9.8 That's is basically gorgeous. the highest tier. But this is one of my holy grails of all time. Um, I will only sell this if I need to stay in business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if it comes to that, this is one of... Oh my god. And it's I have plenty of comics that are not graded yeah. i'm not the graded freak but as you get older you know things move to different levels so um i have that one and then i don't know if you've read have you read saga yeah absolutely comics? have you heard of saga yeah. okay it's right so even good. though i have a graded copy of saga oh my god i'm gonna tell everyone who has never read comics saga is from image comics they're on a hiatus they're 52 issues deep 
the best way I can describe this to people to give it a chance is it's Romeo versus Romeo and Juliet meets Game of Thrones meets Star Wars. Yes. In its own world with defined characters, with amazing art and amazing story that you just have never seen in any. Com- I don't. E- that's why people that aren't comic book fans like, oh, it's all superhero stuff. This is a. This is not superhero comic book stuff. This no. is yeah. one of the best of all time. This is frankly the Star Wars that we deserved in our decade. Oh, <laughs> oh, a hundred. <laughs> you better be careful, Renee. There's comments that are going to be on this. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I have others. I don't want to take too much time on that, but um, comic book collecting is just to me. These are. I come from the days of print and paper. Yeah, still is value. It's our mythology. Opening. It's the mythology we grew yes, up with. Yes. So these are in a weird ways. These are almost like historical, you know, keepsakes. Like these are like, in a weird way, antiques yeah. of my childhood. Yeah, yeah, so, no, hundred percent. Uh, is, is there any? Do you do you have any? Are you integrated comics at all? If you're not, it's fine. I never did graded comics just because the like I'm sure they were available in Montreal, but they weren't available in my area. I did buy mm-hmm. back issues, but I wasn't precious about the quality. Like I have an X Men number one, but it's not good quality oh. at all. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? Um, that's like the the one comic I really wanted as a kid. And then I got a graffiti designed signed Dark Knight, like when they did the, the, the run of like 100 of them or something. Mm-hmm. I got one of those. And that was the only, like, I was just so desperate to get one of those <laughs> that I saved forever. And I managed to win a raffle for it at one of the, not a raffle to get it, a raffle to buy it at one of the comic oh shops. Gosh. Because to me, Dark Knight and Watchmen were just pivotal for everything, like, they just informed so much. Like, long before Warren Ellis and Grant Morrison and Garth mm-hmm. and all those people, mm-hmm. Alan Moore and Frank Miller just redefined what I thought about comics. And I always wanted oh. to get really good copies of those. There's, I mean, there's, right, there's a comic like that, Dark Knight. I mean, even Watchmen, where this whole idea of black and white superheroes yeah. being, right, was completely flipped when you have these concepts of, like, anti-heroes. Um, you know, the more... Dis- exploring more of the gray areas of these superheroes that's when it gets really interesting and those are the characters that you know even today we tend to resonate with and enjoy the most so i mean it's it's a great i mean i'm envious of the kids and the young people um that are seeing stuff that we only imagined could happen because yeah you know when we were growing up we had like the punisher with dolph lundgren which wasn't yeah. bad but it wasn't like the level of just the level of stuff that's out there today is amazing yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. It was funny because when I was watching Endgame, uh, when it got towards the end, my godson looks up at me and goes, what is wrong with you? And I said, you don't understand. I have been waiting my entire life for someone to do this. And, you know, they just kept coming. And he's just like, what, really? Are you okay? And I go, no, I've been waiting my entire life for this. I, I, I mean, I literally had definitely tears in my eyes in yeah. certain parts, like a couple parts. And I was like, what's going on? And I just realized it's just a culmination of so many things, yeah. right? Yeah, so uh, much stuff. You can find Brian's almost daily video show at youtube.com slash Brian Tong. His podcast, Apple Bits XL, in your favorite player. You can support him at patreon.com slash Brian Tong and chat with him on Twitter at Brian Tong. Thanks, Brian. And thanks all of you for watching. See you next video. And remember, you can get early access to these podcast episodes and watch them in full on video via patreon.com slash Renee Ritchie or watchnebula.com slash Renee Ritchie. Early access Patreon members also get to see scripts for most of the daily shows before they're even shot, as well as Discord, where we chat about Apple, gear, workflows, and more. And there are even ways to get your name in the description of every video or the credits. 
So if you want to be more involved in this community and contribute directly to the creation of these videos in future projects, check out patreon.com slash Renee Ritchie. And thanks, sincerely, for your support. None of this would be possible without you.